Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. As the innovators continue to pour into Austin, the capital quickly follows. Plug and Play is the latest Silicon Valley institution to set up shop here. Today, my guest is Kevin Paracadu, a partner with Plug and Play who is leading their expansion into Texas, starting with their new office in Cedar Park. We talk the model, their Austin thesis, and merging the lessons of the Valley with the future of our region. Kevin is a seasoned investor, having led seed and early stage investments in over 40 companies, including Big ID, Manscaped, Madison Reed, Nottam, Zigzag Global, acquired by Global Blue, and others. Kevin also co-manages Plug and Play's Future Commerce Fund, where he works closely with the fund's corporate LPs and over 10 portfolio companies. Prior to Plug and Play, he was an investment analyst at Centripetal Capital and a co-founder of a custom apparel company. And now on to our conversation. Kevin, welcome to Austin Next. Jason, thank you so much for having me. All right, why don't we start off with the big picture here and tell me a little bit about the history of Plug and Play and what's the model? Yeah, sure. Well, first off, again, you know, thank you for having me. We're, we're, we're big fans of the podcast and we're excited to be the new player in town. I think history of Plug and Play is unique in of itself. You know, most venture capital firms start because the founders of that venture firm were former founders themselves and exited large companies and started their, their venture capital firms. For us, our story is pretty unique. So our CEO and founder, Saeed Amidi, his background's in plastics and water bottling and kind of non-tech businesses. He ends up buying real estate on University Avenue. So if you're a California native, you know that that road leads right into Stanford in Palo Alto. And it was the mid-90s. Location, 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 right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and a good time to buy real estate in the mid-90s on University Avenue. So he ends up buying this real estate and... Really, the first iteration was, hey, let me use some of this office space and let me kind of take a, a stab at co-working, which was pretty novel at that time to do. So in walks in Larry Page and Sergey Brin one day and says, hey, we're two researchers at, at Stanford and we, we got this idea to search the internet and we'd love to get some office space. So our CEO ends up becoming their initial landlord and subsequently is able to invest in Google through Ron Conway's angel fund, like I think SV Angel number one or one of the funds there. And then he quickly sees that the returns on Google was a lot bigger than plastics and water bottling, which were his historic businesses. <laughs> so just, just a little. Google, just a little, right? And Google would expand to about, I think, 40 or so people in that building. We have, a, we have this awesome photo that's uh, at HQ that has the original Google team right in front of the building. So that's that was Google first, and then PayPal, same story, you know, Max Lefkin, Peter Thiel, et cetera. And then it was Logitech. And then it was Andy Rubin, the founder of Android Software, his first company called Danger, if you remember the LG sidekick also. So all these things, all these different entrepreneurs really come in into our building our CEO, you know, first it's like a space opportunity for them, but then later we would opportunistically invest in the building. He thinks to himself and his brother get together and they say, hey, what if we just got a bigger facility? So 
again, the vision at that time was, hey, we'll just be a landlord and opportunistically invest in the building. We get this 160,000 square foot facility in Sunnyvale. Same idea, opportunistically invest. And then what we start noticing is corporations coming in through our doors. So this was at, say, 2010-ish. And that's when corporations are starting to come out of the financial crisis, seeing new players that were born in the financial crisis, the Ubers, the Airbnbs, et cetera, really seeing their own market share taking a hit. Can I jump back in the story a little bit? Because we, you talk about like the Google and obviously this run-up in the 90s. I'm just curious what happened to Plug and Play after the bubble burst in the 2000s. Yeah, what kind of happened during during that stretch? Did because obviously a lot of you know valuations and kind of the dot com burst was did the model stretch? Did it what what happened there? Yeah, so the model wasn't even around then, right? So back then we were just a landlord. So really the real estate value was our primary revenue line. The return on investment in Google's and so forth was really just kind of hey, these are opportunistic investments. It never became our business really until much later. So really until, so we would get these early wins and we tried to, you know, what we noticed was large, you know, fast forward to 2010, we got the bigger facility. We started noticing all these different corporations coming into our doors, wanting to meet with our startups. We had tried different business models until then. You know, maybe we get investor day or maybe we talk to, uh, maybe we act as more like an investment banker where we're pitching startups into into other you know financiers and so forth. And finally, when we notice this corporations coming in through our doors to work with the startups that are first in the building on different projects and you know different kind of enterprise technology problem sets. And that was when our light bulb moment went off, which was, you know, in the modern world, the corporations are looking for innovative solutions, and oftentimes those solutions don't lie in large enterprise you name the oracles and so forth of the world or the other kind of large enterprise vendors and may exist in a new form of startups. So really that allowed us to become what we are today, right? So we took that physical element of space. We added on the corporate innovation aspect where we thought we have a prime access to both the entrepreneurial economy and the, you know, the corporate world. And then we said, let's institutionalize our venture capital part, take our P&L, actively invest in companies that we're introducing to corporations and able to collect feedback on, and then subsequently raise funds because our corporations trust us to become amazing investors. So fast forward to today, now we're about you know 750 employees, about 35 or so unicorns in the portfolio, 90% of which we've been able to be the first 20 in. And you know we accelerate about 2,500 or so startups throughout the world through that basis. And so how many locations are you at this point and how are you guys thinking about that deployment of the different accelerators? Yeah, so we're about north of 50 at this point and really kind of the idea, the accelerators is kind of a tough word is that, you know, we don't take any equity in these startups. We don't charge them any fees. The companies that go through our programs range in size. They can be a seed stage company, even a series B, series E company. The value add for the startup is really access to their client base. It's free business development for the startup. And the way that we think about creating these programs is one, we go into any city and we kind of canvas that environment, see what what is the existing corporate base, what is kind of the new corporate base that potentially is coming in and so forth. And we create programming around that. So an example is when we looked at Germany, right? The obvious one would have been Berlin. 
you know, obviously the, the tech hub, et cetera, of, of that country. However, we ended up choosing Stuttgart, Germany. And the reason that was is because Stuttgart is the automotive capital of the world. It's the, the headquarters of, of Daimler, of Volkswagen, um, and all their different OEM suppliers that are kind of in and around a 20-mile radius of where they are. So we ended up starting a, you know, kind of a mobility practice there. Um, and these days, that program has over 30 corporate partners and actually 10 technologies that we've introduced in our programming to Daimler you can find in your Mercedes today, which is pretty cool. So we basically copied that playbook and, and take it to every different locality when we start new offices. How are you seeing, because you see some of these hubs change over time. So how is kind of, when you, one, when you move in, and obviously, as you said, it reflects the nature of the hub both today and tomorrow, but then that changes over time. So where, how do you see the flexibility and when is it like, okay, it's the mobility hub in Stuttgart today, but now let's just take it out. Like generative AI didn't exist two years ago, but now it's the hot thing. So how do we pivot? How, how are you thinking about that in terms of the, the way any of these hubs shift over time? Yeah. So I think what happens for us is the technology set may change, right? Meaning generative AI might be kind of the latest and greatest, or maybe a certain type. What we're seeing is what's slower moving is kind of the corporate nature of that town changing. It could be, and then we would change our programming. So what we've been able to often do is we start with the vertical that's the most relevant in that town today. And then we think, okay, what what is this town? What does this locality want to become? And how do we create programming around that to be part of the attraction of that town? Like in Cedar Park, you know, as an example, right, this region already has amazing regional manufacturers, whether it's Tesla, whether it's the semiconductor players, or even Dell as kind of being the corporate HQ. So for us, a kind of a, an e, a slam dunk initial vertical is advanced manufacturing, bringing together the supply chain, the manufacturing teams, all the different key stakeholders that already might live in, and work in central Texas. But then as we look out, you know, really kind of the burgeoning vertical that we're seeing are really two of them, right? One that's close, near and close to your heart, healthcare and life sciences, with all the different companies that are uh, coming about in that space. Um, and the other being aerospace and defense with all the different defense innovation groups that sit between here and San Antonio. So we kind of work with the city, the experts, and try to identify what's coming up. And if things change in between now and then, we're nimble enough to change programming as well to be more local and more relevant to the folks there. And I think it's a good pivot point. So let's walk through your decision process for selecting Austin as this kind of latest hub. How was it that, okay, we've hit this tipping point. I mean, I think one of the things that we've talked about on this podcast before and in different conversations is while Austin's been in the zeitgeist a lot recently, it's the 30 year overnight success. It wasn't this kind of flash in the pan. It's kind of been that, but you know, I think a lot of it was accelerated over the last three years, you know, that we had this continuous movement that just kind of shot through everyone kind of made the decision myself included, and I think you, that, you know, it was kind of in the back of our brain and things got executed that were maybe plans that may or may not have been uh, occurred. So why did Plug and Play make the decision now? What happened? What changed? Yeah. And I'll, and I'll give you some kind of what happened before, right? So in, in Plug and Play's history, we, you know, kind of in the story I was saying, 
we became our modern what we do today really in the last 10 or so years. And when I joined the firm about six years ago, we had maybe five or so global offices, including HQ. So really, you know, between 2017 and the top of the pandemic, a lot of it was global expansion. We went into Asia, we went into Europe, and we didn't really look at the U.S. as an expansion opportunity because we were frankly scared of cannibalizing our own business in the U.S., meaning we had HQ. You said five before, and then you were at 50 now? Did I hear that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I yeah, want to make sure exactly. I just saw that so much. Six years, you've 10x the number of locations. Right, and we 10x employees too on that front. Yeah, so we looked at, at Europe, Middle East, Asia, all those kind of awesome regions and brought our model there to those localities. And then we kind of neglected the U.S. for the longest period of time. Then really, you know, throughout the pandemic, uh, we realized that we won't cannibalize our own business. If anything, we're accelerating companies that may be in that region, that may not have access to the resources that our Silicon Valley office provides, but also we're able to bring in companies now from all over the globe. So whether it's Asia, whether it's Europe, et cetera, to a city like Cedar Park. So that was the first part. So one was, hey, let's we need to focus a little bit on domestic expansion. Part two of that was where are the where is the corporate hubs in the United States? Obviously, a lot of them are in big cities like New York and, and LA and so forth. But then there's there's these growing hubs in really interesting cities where there isn't much activity. So that that part led us really to the state of Texas, where as you know, it's a you know, I think it was actually over the pandemic. Texas became the leader in Fortune 500 headquarters with with over 55 Fortune 500 companies with the state of Texas as being their headquarters. So that was the first light bulb. We need to be in the state of Texas. The second part of that was we realized that, you know, there are players like us, but not anyone really at our scale in the state and that the state could leverage the connective tissue that plug and play naturally provides, connecting government, corporations, universities, and startups all into kind of one roof. So we realized then that we should target the entire Texas Triangle. And Central Texas really made a lot of sense for us when we looked at it in Austin in specific. It was because, you know, there's there's over 30 corporate, regional, or actual headquarters in the area. Austin is home to over 20 different unicorns. It's it's a sleeping giant, right? Like it's not often talked about as kind of the, the leading tech economies. Of course, it's in the conversation, but not considered maybe in the top three. And quality of life is great. The university systems are top notch. All these different aspects that we think lead to a strong entrepreneurial hub, while also being a great place for plug and play to thrive and be the connective tissue between startups and corporations. So that's how we chose really this region. And then once we started working with different cities and trying to understand, you know, where it makes sense for us to work with, you know, really kind of met the city of Cedar Park, actually at a conference in DC, immediately clicked on shared vision. And it made a lot of sense for us to kind of move into the region shortly after that. I mean, it only took about six months from first conversation to then ultimately signing a contract and launching something. So we knew the city also wanted to work with us. So the the origin, obviously, of plug and play is was in the, the real estate. Is the program itself is a finite program accelerator program, correct? In, in what sense? It's you, the a, a startup goes through a six month period. Correct. Can you, I mean, can you walk through the, the, the actually the plug and pray program? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, each program starts with a board, 
a board of corporations that are excited about that vertical and want to work with startups. They disclose to plug and play their respective interest areas and challenges. We then use that as sourcing criteria to then essentially, you know, through a series of voting, ultimately get to a cohort of companies. So the, the cohort of companies all have pretty clear commercial relevance to the board, to, to one or more corporations on the board. Then the companies go through about an eight-week level of programming. It's different from your average accelerator. It's not really how to build your business. We assume you know how to do that. It's companies that are looking for scale. So it's a lot of how to kind of upsell your existing contracts, how to commercialize into new markets, how to potentially approach M&A if you're interested in that, or how to go about your Series A, B, C, whatever it, you know, whatever it be financing. So that's the kind of programming that we bring in, sprinkled with, obviously, introductions to the board and, and other corporations that we work with. After those eight weeks, the companies, we essentially have a summit whereby those companies go on stage, they talk about their traction, more about their product, we bring in the public, and hopefully they can talk about maybe the work that they're already doing with some corporations. Obviously, in three months, it's, it's hard to get to a, a full-on pilot, but that's the end goal. We're trying to shorten the sales process for startups, bring them to a path to commercialization, and hopefully create meaningful business and, and jobs for for, the, for any region that we're involved in. So, and the reason I was really want to get into the detail a little bit of it is, so when you decide on a region, you said you, you kind of look at the, the corporate base and, and what's here, but I'm going to assume that when you're sourcing the companies, there's not a geographic restriction. So you, you do not have to be based in central Texas to be part of, or correct me if I'm wrong, to be part of the central Texas plug and play accelerator. So if you fit the criteria that we're looking for in the advanced manufacturing, you want to come here for this accelerator to fit the needs of these companies, you're, you're more than welcome to come. And so the question, so that what I'm kind of getting at at this point is how much of a source of gravity does something like this become for the region? Is it 80% come from the region, 20% come from outside the region and then they kind of stick? Like, what, what have you seen? Obviously, we don't have statistics for, you know, for this particular one, but what are, we, what are you seeing in other regions? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. So it depends on how thriving the entrepreneurial economy is in that town, right? And how diverse it is. So to give you an example, let's say in Alberta, right? Alberta's, uh, you know, where we have two offices across Edmonton and Calgary, not necessarily known as an entrepreneurial hub, over kind of the two cohorts, we had roughly about 25 or so companies that have gone through that cohort. And in that cohort, you know, the companies were from all over. We had a company from Israel, a company from India, you know, other parts of other parts of Asia, uh, and of course the US. Then what ultimately ended up happening with those 25 or so companies was that three completely relocated and then four more actually established second headquarters in Alberta. So that one is an example of an economy that may not, that's kind of in the early stages of building a startup ecosystem. When we look at Austin, you know, Austin obviously, like I said, has just so many startups. The, the key aspect and key evaluation criteria here would be relevancy. You know, we don't want to be, every, if you're an Austin-based company, you get automatically admitted in the program, even if you don't have any relevance to the corporate base that we're working with. We do want to be, to your point, that attractive force. That if we're working with 
you know, the leading companies in Central Texas, first and foremost, this serves as a place where if you're a company in Shanghai or Bulgaria or wherever you may be, we have an awesome product that's highly relevant. Let's get you on a plane to Austin to work with those different corporations. But also, if you're an amazing company in our backyard and you just haven't been able to talk to, you know, the other corporations in your backyard, you as well. That's something we'll see in, in, as we map out. For us, ultimately, we want to be valuable to the community. So we'll first look at the community for that relevancy. So one of the things that I've kind of seen kind of in the exploration on the podcast, and I'm getting, trying to understand ecosystems as they go, is I have a theory that there is a kind of a first principles of an ecosystem. And each ecosystem kind of has a different set of first principles as you, and even as you get into the, the sectors themselves. And I think if you are as a company match up with the first principles of the, that particular ecosystem, that's really when you start having the flywheel kind of go. And I think when you've picked out, you know, advanced manufacturing, aerospace and defense, life sciences and healthcare, I think you, you, I agree with what you've, you know, those verticals that you picked. I think you kind of, really fit into what what is really underlying what's kind of set Austin up for success. From your guys' process and pick, like what were the signals that kind of put out that those were the things? Some of them, I and I'll put from my perspective, some, as you said, were kind of obvious, the advanced manufacturing. We definitely have a sense of us building things here. Some, I think, were a little more breadcrumb, right? The narrative isn't necessarily there. So I'm curious how you guys came up with those three verticals. Yeah, no, and, and we can't take all the credit. So the city of Cedar Park was incredibly helpful. We don't ever advertise as the expert of any city. We work closely with, with government. In this case, we work with, with Cedar Park's Economic Development Corporation and the mayor of that town. And they first came to us and really set and kind of laid out their own strategic plan and was able to be very helpful in kind of seeing their level of analysis for, for Austin, for the surrounding suburbs, et cetera, in where they think the city is naturally going. So that was one part. I think two for us was we looked at kind of federal legislation. So, you know, we're, we're big believers, whether it's the startups we invest in or the offices we create, that federal government and state government play a huge role in how local economies are shaped. And in this case, we looked at the CHIPS Act, right? The, both the Federal CHIPS Act and then, and then the second, the Texas CHIPS Act. And with the Federal CHIPS Act, we basically said there are two big states that are benefiting from this, Arizona and the state of Texas. Arizona brought in TSMC, uh, has Intel's manufacturing units and so forth. And then we then created an advanced manufacturing group there to work with those stakeholders. And then Texas, you know, really got... Samsung, as we all know, with, with kind of $200 billion or so being invested over the next 10 years, et cetera, and, and several other kind of existing or planned manufacturing sites to be coming here. Then in terms of state politics as well, right, the, the governor's rhetoric or the local government's rhetoric is a lot about bringing manufacturing or high quality jobs back to that local state. So it lines up to your point of kind of being you know, some at a rhetoric that's going on and making sure our messaging aligns with that. So that was vertical one. Then as we explore our next few, you know, we're still open to if things change between now and then when we launch those. But reading the tea leaves now, I mean, you know much more about kind of the life sciences sector here, but 
when we looked at it, it's all the different kind of hospital networks that are coming about into the region from other parts of Texas and so forth, and the number of healthcare entrepreneurs and unicorns that are based here. So that was clear. And then lastly, with, with defense, defense has become such a hot sector. I think in the last year or so, like I, I feel like every other podcast I hear is about defense tech. And Austin has really become a clear hub of that with Army Futures being here, AFWorks, Defense Innovation, so many other different groups that are treating Austin as their main hub. But we see the opportunity there is that, you know, they're based here, but they, I'm not sure how well, like, I think we can accelerate and be the connected tissue between them and the global community of startups that are relevant to them. The idea is that we hopefully can be that local access, but provide that global reach. Yeah, it's a really interesting, as you said, that the defense sector here continues to grow, just not just in the, with the, as you said, the the government innovation groups that are here, but then also some of the larger VCs that like 8VC and Bedrock and the like that are, you know, go uh, deep into that space. And then you have some of the primes that are here. So it's it's a real interesting mix that is really starting to coalesce in a lot of different ways. And so it's a, uh, it's wouldn't have necessarily known that or, or going when we kind of moved here. And I think, I think that's one of the things that really makes, I think, Austin interesting from that perspective that before I moved here, I don't know if you had the same experience, there were a few things that I did know about, like, you know, about Dell and I knew about kind of some of the, 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 the major stuff. But once I got here, the, the stuff under that wasn't necessarily being told as much. I didn't know about the defense sector. I didn't know about the CPG sector. I didn't know just about how diverse of a sector. And then it's all converging in a variety of differently and interesting ways that I think really is going to create a whole net of new sectors that I think is going to be a lot of fun and really open up new opportunity spaces. Yeah. No, I, I had the same level, right? Like it was we knew that Tesla was coming, that made all the headlines, Oracle's coming, Dell was already here, and then, you know, Vista Equity and other kind of big names that when you think of like the city of Austin, you're like, oh yeah, that's what it comes to. And then when you get here, you just realize that, you know, to your point, the sheer diversity of entrepreneurs, technical talent, um, which Austin has not always talked about, the sheer kind of, you know, like level of interest and I think good kind of work-life balance that folks generally have, and they're not entirely kind of absorbed into their careers, but they're still producing really innovative things. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasant surprise for me as well. But there is an interesting thing on, on the technical talent. I've had this discussion both on, on air and off in that because we haven't had four, five, six cycles of like the Bostons or the or Silicon Valley or New York, it becomes necessarily a tiny bit harder to find. Because you don't have as many signals open, right? It's like, oh, well, you were number 20 at this company, then you were number five at this company. So it's easy for me to pick just from the resume. I know you've got the technical talent to do this. And I mean, how do you see either something like plug and play or just anything there to be able to pick out the right talent? How, how do you think as an ecosystem where you should be able to better find it? Because we, we know it's there, but it might be buried there might be the great talent at the Googles or the Dells that is hidden from us because they don't have the obvious signals of it, but it's they're there somewhere. Yeah, no, it's an awesome question. I think I think about it in a few different ways, right? So on 
the the clear executive talent. I was an early employee of so forth, and 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 why we're starting to get a lot of those folks, you know, with all the influx of folks coming in from different places. I think increasingly we're meeting people of that caliber. I'm sure you are too at just casual networking events or dinners and so forth that are coming from them. So I think the you know kind of what I would call them kind of name brand notoriety folks. They're starting to come in and increasingly coming in. The, what I'm most excited about in terms of Austin, the Central Texas region, is the amount of burgeoning talent that I think is relatively untapped. I think of UT and not only obviously the computer science program, but you know all the all the great work they're doing at the engineering school where you and I met and so forth. A lot of these entrepreneurs, I think, are saying, "Hey, UT was a great starting ground," and then they're getting awesome offers from from the coast or wherever it may be. So how do we prevent any further potential brain drain from the Central Texas region? I think it's by providing and creating an ecosystem where, hey, if you don't want to go the big company route, here's a new and exciting way. And let's make Austin a unicorn kind of mecca where, hey, this is a place if you want to meet you know, young, incredibly talented, hungry people, you come to Austin. And in, you know, let's say five to 10 years from now, they can say they were an early employee at X or Y or a founder of X or Y. And they become the next level of, you know, name brand notoriety. It's kind of investing in the city as I see it now. But I think the city is still also even getting in that name brands kind of folks as well. Yeah, it's it's about, you're right, it is changing the narrative and understanding what we are and what we are different, right? It's back to, again, that first principles of what it is. Look, if you want to go and build foundational AI models, you're right. You likely don't, aren't going to be here. If that's the thing you want to do, great. Go to the Bay. I'm not going to, like, absolutely don't, I'm not going to stop anybody. There are, if you likely want to build, you know, the convergence of the physical types of, you know, AI meets the physical world, that's more likely to be here. You know, it's those advanced manufacturing, you know, where, where those things come to, into, into, real, into real life. I think that's going to be here, right? If it's about the next great defense type of application, that's likely to be here. So I think it's, it's getting that narrative together. I mean, it, it comes back to that fundamental principle. We don't want to be the next Silicon Valley. We want to be the first Austin. And what does that mean? And being able to build that, that narrative together. And it also means different things about where you come. I mean, you, one of the things that I kind of want to circle back to is you, you mentioned Cedar Park a lot. And the fact is that you were not downtown, which is, which ended up being a very deliberate decision on, on your guys' part, which I think is, is interesting because there, I feel like there's been a lot of tension recently between this kind of everything needs to be downtown, everything, this is the center of everything versus, and I've had a number of podcast episodes talking about just our transition into a multi-hub region and I think Cedar Park is a perfect example, and especially something that happened recently with Firefly, you know, a, a, a rocket company announcing closing of the rest of their $300 million round is up in Cedar Park because you can't build rockets downtown. And so understanding the thing, you know, I can build software products downtown, I can't build rockets downtown. And so understanding what plays out where and what's the best fit for the talent and the types of companies that you're building. So 
I think that was a really interesting decision that you guys made. And as you said, you, you met the, the, the people from Cedar Park and had that fit. So what was the thought process almost on that deliberate choice of not being downtown? Yeah. Uh, and it's something, honestly, I learned through plug and play. And, and I give a lot of credit to plug and play. We're really changing my mindset on that. Because if I were to, you know, had I not had these past six years with plug and play, I would think like most folks, you have to go to the big city, you have to be in the in the urban center, all of that. Like that's that's the only way you're going to be able to hire people, scale, all that stuff. And I think, you know, really what Plug and Play has taught me is that we have clear case studies where we've gone against the grain and it's done better. So, I, you know, Stuttgart was, was a clear one, right? We went from Berlin and didn't go there. Even HQ, right? We're not in San Francisco. We're in Sunnyvale. It's about 50 minutes south of San Francisco. And, you know, I'm flying out to California in two weeks for our summit. There's 2,500 people flying in. There's going to be 400 corporations in the audience, you know, 200 startups presenting. I think what I've come to realize is being in the urban center is a, an initial kind of positive, but it doesn't, it's not a deal breaker that if you provide high level quality programming, you know, good content great startups, people will come wherever that is. Then that's part one. Part two is to your point of, you know, Austin, we're not trying to be Silicon Valley. And why do people move to Austin, right? It's, it's oftentimes you can afford a house here. Your kids can go to a good school. You know, you have a generally higher quality of life. And that, that kind of branding is oftentimes in the surrounding suburbs where you can't, where those possibilities are still there and where you can do that. So when we thought about, our stakeholders, because we ultimately believe that startups will go wherever there's business, that if there's a, a strong group and concentration of corporations, startups will, will, will be happy to be there to accelerate their own business. When we looked at our stakeholders, which is the corporations, a lot of them live in that area. And a lot of the corporations are based in that area because they need big campuses and they need to be there. And then lastly, you know, the third point is yeah, you can't build a rocket company in downtown can't build an advanced manufacturing company probably in downtown and maybe not an aerospace and defense company and maybe kind of a leading bio you know life sciences and biotech company all of those things require physical space and another clear reason where we can leverage our connection to the city to provide additional resources to the entrepreneur that's looking to expand yeah and this is this i want to say this is not me being anti-downtown there are things that that only downtown can provide south by can't be anywhere downtown like you can't have all of the amazing things is playing at the Moody Center anywhere but downtown. The part that there just seems to be, especially like going back to Silicon Valley, I'm using the term Silicon Valley, like there's this seems to be this forgetfulness that it is a multi-hub region. Like it, the San Francisco itself and the downtown has only been part of that story for 15 years out of the, the 50 year history of it. I mean, you talk about plug and play starting being on, you know, the road by Stanford. Like he was down on the bay itself, down by Sunnyvale and San Jose and all by like that used to be where it was. And then it expanded up. And I think it was what Twitter's move to downtown in 2009, 10. That was what when San Francisco actually became part of the equation. Now it is a lot more a part of the equation. And I think that open AI and for those of you listening, this is where, you know, a few days past still in all the craziness and who knows when you when you're listening to this what is going on with open ai but i know that's like all downtown but the multi-hub nature of it is 
that's always been Silicon Valley. Like it goes from Oakland to Sunnyvale to San Jose, all the way up to San Francisco. And I think the fact that there's this thought process that like everything needs to be within, you know, a two mile radius of downtown is, has always been this kind of false, unless you're in New York city, right? Like New York city is the only place that I know of that really actually operates in that way. Even Boston doesn't operate that way. Yeah. I think it's, you know, we're just doing the reverse story here in Austin, you know, with Firefly as an example, but I'm, several other companies are just building, not necessarily in the core. It's awesome to still live there and be part of the cultural activities, but it's not the only place where you can build a company in Central Texas, I think. Right. Yeah. And you got to figure out actually what's the right spot for you. And, and as, as it, some of them make actually perfect sense, you should be downtown and building downtown. So you've been here a little while and I, I've been here we kind of keep comparing it to the Bay and talking about wanting to be kind of the first Austin. What are you seeing kind of as some of more of the unique characteristics of Austin as compared to it? Like what, what, what's a differentiator from other ecosystems you've been a part of? Yeah. So I think from my lens, it, there's been a lot more deep tech and a lot more that, you know, I've seen in this region than really, uh, really in the Bay. In, in Boston, I would say is kind of closer, more kind of robotic side and so forth. Here in Austin, I'm seeing kind of companies across a wide gamut, whether it's solving kind of clear manufacturing challenges, clear supply chain challenges, or kind of converting into other, you know, really interesting spaces. I think when I look at the VC ecosystem in Austin, the mentality is a lot different than, let's say, San Francisco, or really, because I'd say even somewhat New York investor, which is two places where I spent the most time, where I think the VCs here, you know, Austin, I think still needs a strong pre-seed economy, you know, angel network and pre-seed economy that's really taking high risk bets into the companies that are really solving some key challenges. And that kind of exists well on the West Coast and East Coast, um, or has been created in the last 20 or so years. And whereby you can take kind of an idea where a business model, let's say, isn't built out and all these, there's a lot of question marks, but you're kind of investing in the person. My take on Austin is that it's, it's the VC ecosystem seems to be more comfortable in a little bit later stages. Um, so I would say like kind of like later stage seed, series A, B, and then obviously there's a good private equity network in the region. Um, so I think that's an opportunity that we could potentially fill in that kind of pre-seed world, operating like a Silicon Valley investor with the prudence potentially of, you know, of kind of um, a West Coast or Southern investor. So that's interesting. The one of the deep tech angle in the VC ecosystem. Three, I think is providing that level of kind of scaling and mentorship that the Alton ecosystem has. I think a lot of the entrepreneurs I've met are doing really well of bringing their business, let's say to zero to one, but they're struggling, let's say in that one to 10 of the, how do we get it to scale? How do we get in those resources? How do we build teams of hundreds, et cetera? That's not necessarily a service-based business or has kind of, you know, that element to it, which is another, I think, opportunity by connecting mentors, operators that have done this maybe in other regions and trying to bring that expertise back home. I think that's one of the inflection points, though, is because when I look at just the, the, the VC dollar figure change and why that the scale has changed recently for Austin is the CDE rounds of 100 million exist now. And so it, to your point, people are having to scale it at a way that generally didn't exist 
before in Austin. Like, I mean, on obviously something like Adele did and some and on rare occasions, but now when you have instead of, you know, one unicorn every other year, and now you're having eh, two or three a year. So now many people are facing this challenge rather than a couple people ever facing this challenge. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this close knit community of scalers is how I think about it. And the VC ecosystem, I think, will really gain its notoriety probably the next five to 10 years when these companies become bigger and they're less known as, let's say, regional players and really smart players that invested in the region because they saw what you know what was on the tea leaves way before any of us did. So I want to dive actually into two of the things you said. There's one on the deep tech side. When you generally, at least when I generally think about deep tech, you think that there has to be a strong university connection because usually deep tech takes a lot of pre-commercialization, even pre-company work that it does. And hence your point about like Boston, you've got, you know, obviously Harvard, MIT, uh, all of those schools and the same thing on the Silicon Valley side when you have like Berkeley and, uh, and Stanford. What are you seeing or what do you think? Because, you know, we've seen difficulty of getting things out of UT and this is not just a UT issue, right? But obviously Harvard and, and MIT have figured some things out. What are you thinking for deep tech? Are there any lessons to be learned from other ecosystems on just how to better integrate the university systems to get things out? Yeah, I think where, and I, and I agree, right? Like I think I, what I'm noticing from, let's say the university ecosystem into the startup ecosystem is that there is a lapse in kind of commercialization ability and interest that your excellent researcher uh, at any school, whatever it may be, may not be your CEO, may not be your CTO or whatever it may be, may not be even the technical person of the company. Actually, most likely not. Yeah, exactly. Like they enjoyed researching. They found a maybe an innovative approach or whatever it may be to a certain technology set. I think where where this ecosystem could potentially take the beauty of looking at others and saying, hey, what have they done well, but where have they lapsed? could be within that, is that the, the path to commercialization has been a lot of times a university taking either warrants or a kind of a low stakes equity in a new code that spun off from them, brought, brought in through their different resources, which still has a heavy faculty element to it. And then it's kind of like throwing, uh, let's say, a newly founded company with a highly technical team under the deep end and saying, go swim. But if I were to kind of redesign that path of, let's say, education or let's say, you know, research to commercialization, the how can we bring in the already close-knit Austin community of VCs, of kind of clear scalers and so forth, and bring them into the technical talent that's, that's being clearly produced from a lot of these institutions? Like, I think that's where a lot of the lapse is, rather than, hey, this is what so-and-so's cool is doing on either coast. Let's just copy their strategy here and create another whatever it may be, right? Like it's that's where I think we could go as a let's say university and technical talent body. So I also want to dig into your point with like the VCs and how the we haven't seen, as we said, we hadn't seen a lot of the CDE rounds, the major unicorns and go like it, it's a very different model that is kind of starting to happen now in uh, here, and that the very I'd say traditional VCs that have been here versus a lot of the new VCs that have kind of moved from the Bay. 
so the the market here i think is shifting a lot right and we want to see i think great ideally you want to see a lot of great integration right we we don't want to see is almost like worst case scenario is okay if you're this type of company, you're going to go to the Silicon Valley VCs. If you're this kind of company, you're going to go to the old techs. Like we want to, you want a highly dynamic and integrated type of ecosystem. And one of the things that has really stuck with me is I had you know Roy Spence on from uh, you know kind of the don't mess with Texas you know fame uh, earlier this and and you know he talked about the primary challenge and something I've thought about a lot of of Austin is. It's navigating the tension between preserving the core and stimulating progress. Like this is this is our fundamental challenge here in Austin. And I think about a lot about how everything is reorienting in Austin, and everybody's susceptible to it. I mean, the example I, I've been giving recently is for however long you know Michael Dell was the richest person in Austin, and then Elon Musk moved here. So if if that can even happen to like the hierarchy that happened to Michael Dell, it happened to everybody, like everybody's position, everybody's, you know, how it, the networks and everything kind of shifted. So as we think about all the people who've moved here, all the influence, all of the networks, kind of everything being kind of constantly changing and that accelerating over the last three years, how would you think about, or how should we be thinking about, how do we integrate all of those different networks, all of those different ways that we're thinking about it to incorporate why we all moved to Austin, what it is that it, it, it's becoming, while continuing to embrace the changing dynamics and what it's becoming? I, I love the way that you kind of phrase it. I think... <laughs> kind of a, a you know, I, I use Reddit a lot and if you just go to the Austin subreddit, it's always like, oh, I missed the town when it was in certain number of years. Oh, five years ago, it was the peak of Austin. It seems to be always the magic number. It's five years ago, just when I got here, whatever that is, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's always, oh, this time period was the best Austin's ever been. Now it's, you know, run downtown with a bunch of people. And like, you know, I, I think there are real world problems that we as a city naturally have to think about and solve. Like, you know, cost of real estate has gone up. Rent has increased. Inflation is, is a clear issue. There's a lot of clear issues that I think we need to handle from a quality of life perspective that made Austin so attractive that is now making it more and more challenging to live here. With that said, I don't think, like, I think that is a challenge that, that needs to be addressed. But the inability to change will ultimately lead to the demise of any city right that if we if we stay true to our roots and kind of have this inward looking perspective that it's going like what exactly are we going to produce in 10 20 years other than being an amazing college town you know and all these other things that Austin's already known for um, if anything all the other cities that you know you take a look at Pentonville or you take a look at Asheville, not Nashville, right? Like all these different cities that are now kind of growing in this unique format and they're creating room for diversity of thought and exercise. What I've personally felt as someone who's, you know, went from New York to California and then to here, a lot of times I whisper the, that I just moved from California thing because I see the don't California my Texas bumper sticker once in a while. <laughs> but I've actually met a thriving, you know, it's, it's more than then often not that the, that the person is receptive to a new form of thought. 
Now, will that translate into business? I think that will be the challenging part. Like, will we as an economy then say, hey, here's this moonshot idea that you have. You haven't thought about monetization yet. You haven't thought about all these other things where if you were in Palo Alto, you probably get a million in funding versus in Austin right now, likely that'll be more challenging, right? So how do we change that mindset? And I think that's gradual. You have to, honestly, you have to get a few misses. And whether it's the VC ecosystem and they saw maybe that company that's Austin-based that got funding from the West Coast and they said, oh, and they scratched their head and they said, oh, they actually ended up figuring it out. Or it's, hey, you met someone really interesting at an event. They had a different opinion than you. You kind of shunned them out. And they've gone and done something different. My opinion is that you kind of have to do a little bit of trial by error and just see the ecosystem and, and see how it changes. But if you don't open yourself up to any of this, you're probably going to get lost in the dust, right? Like, I, I would not want Austin to become like insert city and whatever it may be that just stuck to their roots and now has a bunch of ghost stores, ghost everything and becoming a documentary in 20 years from now. No, definitely not. Yeah. And what's the changing thesis? How do you grow? And I think some of our VCs time the market well, and they all, at least the historic ones, all raised at the end of, I think, 21, 22. So they were well positioned and not, didn't deploy at the, uh, at the bubble. So they're all sitting on a lot of dry capital, which I think is giving them a good opportunity. Uh, so I think that is good. So Kevin, I think this has uh, been a lot of fun. I think really interesting. I'm really glad plug and play is here. And so I want to always end with the same question. What's next, Austin? What's next in Austin is hopefully plug and play Cedar Park, where we'll become the innovation hub of the region. Perfect. I love it. Kevin, thank you very much for joining the Austin X podcast. Jason, this has been super fun. Thank you for having me. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher. Leave us a review and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.